So in this journey, I want you to think about this triumphal entry, quote unquote, and uh, in, in Matthew 16, after Jesus and Peter had their exchange, in chapter 17, verse number one, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Peter said to Jesus, it's a great statement, you know, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I'm sorry, I, I just want to argue and say, Peter, that's the stupidest thing you could say right now in this particular situation. You see Jesus, he's transfigured in front of you, and you see Moses and Elijah, and they, all you can think of is, let's, let's, let's camp here, let's build a house here, you know, let's, how do you build a house for God? It's not a house that we build, it's a temple that we surrender, right? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Which is a way of saying, don't listen to Peter. I'm just reading between the lines here. Listen to Jesus. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, and they were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. Lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. One more time, Jesus tells them, something bad is going to happen. And after I'm resurrected, then I want you to share the story but not now while i'm thinking of it let's turn to first john chapter 3 in first john chapter 3 there's a a verse now think that peter james and john so john was there with him uh, and he experienced jesus transfigured before them and that by the way that transfiguration there's just no words to describe what must have happened I've had wonderful experiences with the Lord, some alone, some in times like this. Worship a while ago to me just seemed off the hook. I just felt like we sort of stepped into eternity for a second, you know. And those are all wonderful. And I really do think that heaven and God is much closer than we think. He's not so far away. He's very close, very near to us. But we just don't have eyes to see it sometimes. And so I'm thinking of John, you know, that John witnessed Jesus being transfigured with the others. And John later, Peter wrote about it later, a wonderful thing. He, in Second Peter, Peter talks about when, when Jesus was transfigured. And he said, we saw this amazing vision. It wasn't an eyewitness. We were there. We saw it. We heard him. And then he tracks on to that thing of hearing Jesus hearing the voice of God and he then segues into listening to the voice of God and uh, how that's even more reliable than visions and things like that but John says it this way I like you know John the way he says it is just as fascinating to me in 1 John 3 verse 1 see how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Verse 2, beloved, now, right now, this day, we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Seeing Jesus as he really is is the key 
to the transformation that we all want. I don't know about you, but I am the, of the mindset that I, it, being forgiven is wonderful and I just can't thank him enough for that. But I want to change. I want to be transformed. I want to be more like him. I, in fact, I want more of him shining through me. Wouldn't it be something if the church were transfigured in front of the world and the world could actually see Jesus through us? And I think that's where we're headed, really. I think that the kinds of things that are developing in our world today are going to lead us to a place where we're going to be so tethered to him and moment by moment crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save us, you know, so tethered to him and so dependent on him that uh, when the heat is on and the pressure is on, that the world is actually going to see Jesus shining through much more than he, he shines through right now. And I, I long for that. So I think the big thing for me is I want to see Jesus as he really is. Not, not as he's always presented, but as he really is. I want to see him as he is. And we know one day we'll see him face to face, and that will be the ultimate transformation. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. All of us. All the way. So the seed of that dwells within you and dwells within me when we accept it, when we receive it. So the seed of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is, is planted in us. And, and uh, so our spirit is, you know, when we're born again, our spirit is alive and awake unto God. And it is as righteous and holy and just as Jesus is. It's in the area of our soul that we struggle. That's the area that has to be developed. That's the area that has to believe. That's the area that has to trust. So I want to take you on a little journey here as we go up to the trans. Uh, I'm sorry, as we go up to the uh, triumphal entry, and uh, just take a look at what uh, God was trying to do in different people's lives. So six days. Six days after the event uh, that we discussed last week, now Jesus is transfigured in front of them. When I say decision, I'm thinking that Jesus was working towards a moment which, in which Jerusalem would have to make a decision. And that decision would be, will we see Jesus just simply as the nice guy on the donkey? riding in gracefully and peacefully, um, maybe as a political or some kind of a savior, uh, is he going to rule and reign there or are we going to let him rule and reign in our hearts, which is what Jesus was aiming for, I believe. So let's trace it here. Peter's confession, Peter's rebuke, Jesus' response, now six days later Jesus is transfigured. Then Jesus departs from there and goes to, uh, departs from Galilee, I should say, in, in, in Matthew 19. Let's just drop in for a moment at Matthew 19. Verse number one, when Jesus finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And what they hope to do is catch him in the same trap that they caught John the Baptist in. He's in the same area, and um, they're hoping for the same outcome. Maybe Jesus losing his head over it inherits um, territory there. So, anyway, point is that if you're up in Galilee, which is the northern part, up near uh, to where Lebanon is, just down from there a little bit is the Sea of Galilee and that thing drains down towards the Dead Sea and it's literally going downhill the whole way so you're going down on the map but you're also going down the hill and what you would come to first of all would be the city or the area of Jericho and in that area is is near where the woman at the well and the Samaritans all that is in that particular area so Jesus has gone from Galilee, he's down in the area of Jericho, and as he's there, he begins touching and healing people, 
And, and he begins to make his approach. So from, Jer- from Jericho onward, it would now be an upward journey, even though it's downward on the map. So geography is south, but it's actually gone up. And there's three, like three ravines that come together, and Jerusalem is on the top of one mountain. But you, you, you literally start uh, climbing for, you know, when you're driving, 25 minutes, half an hour, or something like that, going up to a higher area um, than, than what you were at in uh, Jericho. So as he begins to approach, the, the very next thing that happens just as he's leaving Jericho and starting to head towards Bethany, which is across from Jerusalem, there are two blind men. Now, in Luke's account, it calls him Bartimaeus, and there's one blind man. So um, in Luke's account, was there, um, you know, just he, he left out that there was two or was... Um, uh, Matthew, uh, you know, speaking evangelistically, we're not sure exactly how that turns out. My suspicion is that there were two, and one of them uh, Luke knew the name of, and that was Bartimaeus. These two men began crying out to Jesus, and they began to say in their own way, Hosanna. They began crying out, Lord, save us. And, and they recognized him as the son of David which is interesting to me because these blind men couldn't see, but in their spirit, somehow they knew what not everybody knew, is that Jesus was the Messiah. If he, how does the blind men know that Jesus is the Messiah? How do they know that when other people who had vision couldn't see it? Maybe it was their vision that was distracting them. I don't know. But from their, their heart, they, they knew that Jesus had an answer. So they began crying, essentially, Hosanna, Lord, save us. And I would like to just put a little pin right there and say, now they saw Jesus as he is. They saw him for who he really was. And Jesus turns around, hearing their cry, and asks them what they want. And I think that's just so beautiful, so tender. I mean, it's obvious what they need, but, but Jesus asked them what they want. And they, they say, we want, we want our vision restored. We've heard of your miracle power. We've heard of other people that you have saved. Lazarus, you raised him from the dead. That recently had happened. You know, we've heard of the grace and the mercy of God that is in you. And we want to experience that because we're blind. Don't know if they lost their contacts or maybe they just never could see but in any, any case, they were not able to see with their physical eyes, but their heart knew that Jesus was the Messiah. The same confession that Peter made, thou art the Christ. The, you know, by them saying the son of David, they're attributing to Jesus the same title that uh, you would discover in Isaiah and Zechariah and some of, the, uh, some of the minor prophets would call Jesus the son of David. They use that phrase, and they're looking for mercy. And what Jesus gives them is more than mercy. He gives them grace. Because he was headed to the cross to pay for all this stuff. He was going to pay. And as he begins to touch them and to heal them, suddenly the people that are around him, um, some of them begin to criticize and um, then they begin to take him into, uh, you know, areas of controversy, and they started to talk about cultural things. They started to draw him into a political dispute or debate or religious thing, you know, just kind of like what we're experiencing right now. And as, as that began to happen, there were two blind men who couldn't see, but they could recognize Jesus. And there were people all around who could see, but couldn't recognize who Jesus was. And that begins sort of a theme that occurs later on. So now in chapter 21, when we read when they had approached uh, Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there. This 
is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. I, I won't take the time to go there right now, but if you read Zechariah 9.9, it literally says, Israel, I'm sending you a Savior. And this Savior, here's how you'll recognize him. He'll be riding on, get this, not just a donkey, but the foal or the colt of the donkey. It's not just the mama, but on the child. He'll be riding that donkey. It's pretty specific. I don't know about you, but I love when my prophecies are very specific. And this one was very specific. And these people knew it. So people begin crying out, Hosanna, this must be the king. And they recognize him. And by the way, I just want to say for those of you, like myself, who love animals, he was not abusing this donkey. The point wasn't that he's riding the young donkey. The point was that young donkey had not, never had anyone ride on it before, and Jesus climbed on its back and rode it. That is just, like, physically impossible. But he did it. It's the same God that stilled the seas, calmed that little colt down. He climbs on and people say, this is amazing. He just healed the blind guys. And now look at this. He just climbs on this little donkey and he starts heading towards Jerusalem. They start taking their palm branches and putting that down. And by the way, there wasn't many of those trees around. When they cut those trees down, that was like going, cutting into their livelihood. They cut this stuff down, laid it down, take their coats and laid it down. Why is that? It was a way of welcoming a general. It was a common way of welcoming a general. And the reason why they were welcoming him is because he wasn't coming in like on a white charger. He wasn't coming in in a chariot. He's coming on a donkey, which signifies he's not there to destroy their city. He's not there to destroy the Romans. Although many wanted that. Many wanted for Jesus to do just that, to upend the government and set up a legitimate government. But Jesus just rode the little donkey in there. As he begins to ride, they begin to say, say from Zechariah 9, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats and most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. And the crowds were going on ahead of him and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna. Save us, Lord, I pray. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered the Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, Well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Again, blind guys could see who Jesus was. People with vision couldn't see who he was. The city welcomes him in. They're making a big to-do about it. And, and the city itself, the residents, all around Jesus as he enters, which, by the way, he had been avoiding Jerusalem like the plague for about three months. Because the last time he was in Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him. And so it wasn't time. His time had not yet come. He had many things to do and to say yet, but Jerusalem was not ready for him to be there yet. And he was not ready to die because he was not going to let some mob just come and beat him to death or stone him. But he came in the fullness of time. Everything was orchestrated by his father and the moment he walks in there, you may as well hear, have heard God saying, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God may, have, may as well have said that because the actions that Jesus took were saying exactly that. 
the thing that Peter, James, and John had seen in the Mount of Transfiguration, the whole city is seeing right now. Have you ever seen the grace of God released in someone's life and they're instantly healed or they're instantly saved or they're instantly filled with the Spirit or God restores a marriage or restores a relationship? Have you, have you seen the miracle working power of God? It's, it's kind of like, I, you know, I, you just want to say, if, if only someone had caught that on a cell phone and put that on YouTube, it, wouldn't it be wonderful for someone to just display how wonderful and how gracious Jesus can be when you let Jesus just be Jesus? And, uh, you know, you just say, I know that this city would embrace him if they just saw Jesus doing what we have seen him do. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way. The kindness that the Lord has shown me down through the years in my life and the love that he has poured out on me and the wonderful family and the grace, and this wonderful church that we're a part of, time and time again, the wonderful grace of God that I've seen again and again, it just leads me to one conviction, and that is that, that God is good, he's gracious, he's kind, he's not angry with the world, he's not angry with, well, He's just not angry. But his heart is broken because there's a grace that has been offered that has not yet been received. So even if we did post that on YouTube, would the city receive him? I think, uh, Annie, you just like read my email there when you said, you know, the city received him. We would have received him, or, or would we? That's, that, that's a great question. I think that you and I need to reconsider the title that we give to Palm Sunday when we say this is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I want to say, I doubt it. I don't think it was a triumphal entry. Not the kind of triumph that Jesus wanted to have. He was not there to conquer the city. He was not there to conquer the Gentiles. He was not there to conquer the scribes and the Pharisees. He was not there to conquer. At that moment, he wasn't even there to conquer sin. He was there to conquer the human heart. He was there to win your love, my love, and our affection. All, you know, we get so specific about saying, would you receive Christ as your Savior? And some people will say yes to that, but they'll say no to the love that he offers because it's too deep, it's too real, it's too exposing. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem, and this is not an indictment on the Jews in general, this is an indictment on the human heart, the city literally rejected him. I know that we think one day they're saying Hosanna, the next day they're saying crucify him. I'm telling you that could have happened on the same day given the right circumstances. So what was going wrong? What was wrong here? Why are some people saying, Lord, save us? And others are saying, who is this? And others are saying, this is the prophet. Well, that's a little better than some, but it's not what Jesus wants. Jesus was really asking, would you welcome me as the lover of your soul, the one who loves you, the one who adores you, the one who wants to walk with you, the one who wants you to begin to see him as he really is? And the one who he wants you to begin to show to him who you really are. So when we begin to show him who we really are, he begins to show us who he really is. There is a love dynamic. I don't know about you, but I have noticed that our world is polarized by everything right now. We're polarized by politics. We're polarized by denominations. We're polarized by religions. We're polarized by economics. We're polarized by just about everything you can possibly think of. Just about everything seems to split us right down the middle. So, what is God to do 
with a people who are divided, or as George Washington said, here's a group of people who are basically asleep and they have no idea the impending threat and danger that hovers over them. And he's crying to God for an answer. Give us strength. And I think that uh, in the city that we live in today, the time that we live in today, the country, the world, we should just begin to take a little bit of inventory. What was going on in Jerusalem is that apparently the city was corrupt, fully corrupt. The very next thing that Jesus does is he walks into the temple and he starts to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. There's a court of the Gentiles. There's the court of the women. There's the court for Israel. There's three different areas. And it was to accommodate people and people groups. It was to accommodate them all into the presence of... But, it, but what, has, what has actually happened is that in some of those courtyard areas, uh, they set up shop and began selling. Because after all, it's about the finances. It's about the economy. It's everything is about the economy. It's about money. It's about economics. It's about bettering ourselves. It's about self. And Jesus walked into that hornet's nest. And began to do something that would not earn more favor. I'm going to just tell you that if you haven't realized this yet, eventually you realize that if you can be offended by Jesus and his actions, he will do it. And he won't look back. Because he's drilling in trying to get something far deeper than just our agreement. He's actually aiming for the human heart. The wildest, most dangerous, the most contemptible, the most brilliant and wonderful, horrible, exciting thing in the world is the human heart. Capable of such good, capable of such evil, capable of such art and artistry, capable of such creation, capable of such evil, such harshness, such murder and murderous. So there's so much that goes on within the human heart. So we've got a corrupt city and we've got a corrupt religious system. And we've got a corrupted temple and corrupted priest. So Jesus just said, hey, if you welcome me into the city, can you, do you mind if I start where I want to start? <laughs> you, know, you gave me the key to the city. If you don't mind, I'm just going to start cleaning things up around here if you don't mind. And so what does he do? He goes right for the economics. And I want to tell you something. If there's anything that he exposes the human heart, it's economics. When our livelihood is threatened, people will become different. Which is why God has built into his system of doing life Sabbath and rest. And along with that, offerings and tithing and giving and loving. Because if you don't have some time to rest and regroup and refocus and be with God, then all of a sudden everything is about the economics. And if you don't have a system of giving and sharing, if you don't have a gift, a system where God protects our wealth by us offloading some of our wealth, I'm just going to tell you the most difficult conversation in the world to have with Christians isn't usually about their sexuality. It's more about their finances. It's about their money. And I have no particular reason to pick on that other than that I know that my heart, our heart, many of us are challenged when our, when our finances are challenged. I know how it feels for me. It's like I have this sort of unwritten thing in my mind, like if there's a certain amount of money in the checkbook, I'm, I'm basically secure. 
And when it's not there or it dips below that, then I'm insecure. And if this last year has taught us anything, even that is foolish. We have no idea. We have no idea how God protects us, how he keeps us, how he sustains us, how he wants to be not only the lover of our soul, but the one who provides for his own. You know, um, we had a little technical, well, big technical problem right before the broadcast and the service today, and Carrie walked in and fixed it in a minute. And I said, take that girl out to lunch. I mean, you know, the first thing that should happen is you should say, I, I'm grateful and I want to do something, right? And, and uh, but, 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 when, but when we're in a time of insecurity, we, we hoard, we don't actually think in terms of stretching out. So I, I just want to say that, you know, you probably understand what I mean when I say that maybe our city's a little bit corrupt. Maybe our people are a little corrupt too. Maybe our priests are a little corrupt. Maybe our temple is a little corrupt as well. And I just wonder if we could just today say, okay, I like Jesus sitting on that donkey, although I really wish he would sit on the mama donkey, not the little one, because that, that just sounds cruel, you know. Could you just sit on the right donkey, Jesus? And we, I can welcome you and I can accept you like that, especially when you're coming with peace, especially when you're not here to destroy us. You're, you're not here to judge us. You're just here to, to you know, encourage us. Uh, you know, we would welcome you like that. But when you welcome him into, his, into your life and into your town and he goes and he drills on the thing that is most precious to us, he drills down on that particular thing, sometimes you can go from Hosanna, Lord, save us, to crucify him in zero to 60, I mean, in just a moment. And I want to think that these people are no different than us, really. They're people who really very much like us very religiously oriented, very much community oriented, very much uh, family oriented. We're not giving into the culture and not giving into all the, the things that are going on, you know, and really not buying into all that stuff and yet find in the depth of our heart that when Jesus lays his finger on something, we find that there's corruption. Well, at least that's the way I find in my life. So when I bring my heart before the Lord, here's what happens is that the Lord will comfort me and then I'll say, I want you to see me, and I want you to know me. I want you to search me. I want to be, I want, you know, what shines through me to actually be something that represents you. I really want to be transfigured in front of the people. And when I do, I want them to see that there's, there's no guile, there's no corruption. There's, and, and the Lord says, yeah, about that. And then, and then he allows your computer to be broken by the people who are supposed to fix it. And the people who broke it are very, very sorry. Very, very sorry. And I'm very sorry. Very sorry. Extremely sorry. And all I can do is say, I'm supposed to forgive you. <laughs> At which place they say, we're glad for that. <laughs> we'll make it right. And my heart gets exposed. You know, just like you. How could children, how can babies bring out the worst in us sometimes? They're so innocent. Yeah, but they're also devious. You can't trust them. I've raised a bunch of them, you know. They have their moments and they bless us, but boy, the children bring out the worst in us sometimes. Hey, I'm just thinking that you might say, yeah, you're talking about some things that are actually pretty minor. Can I just tell you, that's because we can talk about the minor things in a setting like this. But if you want to talk about the major things, I'm going to tell you there's major things that needs to change in our community, in our society, in our family, in our home. 
and I really don't want to embarrass myself or yourself or anyone right now, but I'm going to tell you, we need Jesus to come and start cleaning our temples up. We need Jesus to come and start the searchlight of heaven going through us and finding, shining the light of truth on our hearts. Because I know it's really easy for me to get upset with the, the culture and start ridiculing the culture and start saying, see, this is what happens when you let certain things come into play and into your government and into your world. This is what happens and I want to react to it. And you know, Jesus never did that. He walked into that city, was absolutely, totally corrupt, and he didn't deal with the government. He didn't deal with the religious leaders. He just went to the temple, and he cleared it out, and he made room. The interesting thing is that it says in verse number 12, Matthew 21, 12, Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you're making it a robber's den. In verse 14 then, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Matthew's account doesn't say it, but in uh, Luke's account of this same, same story, it tells us that for the rest of that week, so this week, so it'd be starting today, right? From this day forward, for the rest of the week, up until Thursday or so, he taught daily in the temple, daily. Can you imagine? Let's just do it this way. What if, what if someone went to Washington, D.C. And, and really drained the swamp, completely dealt with all the corruption? What if someone went to the Vatican or, or to, uh, you know, Springfield, Missouri, and just cleaned the temple, cleaned out the corruption, and just made room for people and, and just said, we, we welcome you. Just come in. Jesus wants to heal and restore you. There would be some people who would love that. There would be some people who would hate that. Um, in either case, you could get killed. But the amazing thing was that there were many, many people who were oppressed and broken and hurting, and they needed Jesus. Brothers and sisters, as pastor of this church, I just want to tell you that my heart is so broken over the people who are broken and hurting and needing Jesus. Two weeks ago, my neighbor, an 86-year-old man, shot himself in his home. Why? Why are these things happening? Why now? What is going on? We need Jesus. We need him mightily to come and to be among us. We need Jesus to begin sweeping the temple of our hearts. Jesus walked outside after all of this and he curses a fig tree. And the fig tree, you know, it, it, it just represents Israel, that's all. Israel was often represented in Scripture by a vine or a fig tree. He was looking for fruit. He didn't find any fruit. He just cursed it at its root. You know, some people would have more compassion on the fig tree than on the nation. And I, I, just, I just want to tell you that when Jesus did that, all he was doing was being very merciful and saying, hey, listen, guys, no fruit. There's no fruit. There's no fruit of the work and the presence of God in your life. So what's happening here? What's happening? What's going wrong? You need me. You need me more than you think. Brothers and sisters, is he on the donkey coming in, not a threat to anyone? Or is he coming to us wanting to be seated in the throne room of our heart? I know for me, I can only answer for me,
I need Jesus on my heart. I need him seated there because he sees things that I, I have no way of knowing until it's too late and then they're exposed. I hope you understand that when I am saying this, that I have nothing or no one in particular that I'm thinking of. I'm just saying that we're in a time where one year ago we were locked down. If we haven't learned something in this year, we, we, we just... Can I just remind you that uh, three years ago I was telling you that, that as I was traveling out to Panera Bread... I'm going down Route 15, and I stop at a red light. Car pulls up beside me, and I look over, and there's a lady sleeping, young girl sleeping with her head on the glass. The driver reaches over and kisses her on the forehead, kisses her again, kisses her again. She finally wakes up. Light turns green. She pull, they pull out together, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, that's what I'm trying to do with my bride. I'm trying to wake her up with kisses right now. And I knew instantly if we don't wake up to kisses, there are other ways he can wake us up. A year ago, we were locked down. No hope. No chance. Would you please stand with me? So the, here's the deal. Hey, Pastor Rich, this is a pretty heavy message right now, right? Uh, <clears throat> how do we get from Hosanna to palm branches to heavy? How do we get there so quickly? You know. I believe that the people who were laying their coats down and laying the palm branches down, I believe that they, they meant what they were saying. They meant it. They wanted to welcome Jesus. They just didn't know how costly it would be to actually welcome Jesus. So that's just human nature. Brothers and sisters, it's no different today. He is worthy of all this praise. He is worthy of our hosannas. He is worthy of us lifting our hands and worshiping him. But most of the time, it's conditional, like my contact lens. Jesus, if you really loved me, you would actually help me find my contact lens. When Jesus is saying, I really love you so much, you have no idea how much I love you. The problem is I'm, I, I love you too much to just be a vending machine or a genie. You just rub the bottle and I grant you wishes. When Jesus wants to be the lover of our heart and the one who heals it and restores it, I can't tell you how many times I've come into this sanctuary and gone before the Lord and just sat before the Lord. Some days were so ordinary and so plain. I could hear the hum of every light. I could, I could hear the background noises, cars driving by, see a light flicker. Or I could be distracted by all the mundane. I just go it in faith knowing that he's there and he's real and then there have been other days like this week when he filled this room with his presence and I'm telling you that what we're dealing with is way deeper way bigger way more glorious than you or I could possibly believe or know Because everything is veiled in flesh. Jesus' disciples had walked with him three and a half years, and just before the triumphal entry, Jesus pulls three of them aside, and they finally see who he really is. Really is. When I get a glimpse like that, it's like, oh God, I am, I don't, I don't need anything. Not, I don't need the things I thought I needed a minute ago. I don't need them anymore. The things that were important to me that just had to happen, it's just it's not important anymore. 
people who needed and absolutely had to be saved. They're in your hands, God. Not in my hands. To be honest with you, I'm just kind of scared to death to just live my life, let alone live my life among others and try to encourage them in the way to go. But I'm telling you today, I'll take the risk and I'm telling you that Jesus loves you more than you possibly could ever know. But there is a dangerous side to that. There's the jealous love of God that wants nothing more than everything you have to give him because he loves us that way. He showed us how he wants to be loved. He gave everything. He bled. He died. He rose again. And all he's asking you is to give everything, to be willing to bleed, to be willing to die, to self. Let God come and rebuke fig trees in our hearts that he didn't plant, weeds that are growing that are not not meant to be there, attitudes that we inherit from the culture, and I just, like, I can't really see the way forward from here, I really can't, but I just feel like that we're at a crossroads, and we've got to decide, we, we are all in, we're either all in or we're not in at all, I just... There is just such a decision that has to be made within my heart, within our heart. We have to just decide this thing once and for all. And even though I can't quite see it, I just feel that it's going to cost us more than it's ever cost us. And I know that that goes against our theology because this this is grace. It's given to us. It's free. It's freely given. It is, but it's costly. It costs the life of God's own son. It cost his bleeding. We just can't minimize the fact that he literally did die to prove his love. Do you see Jesus, the gentle Savior seated on a donkey, kind of making way for the Easter bunny? see him as absolute Lord seated in your heart. Father, my cry is today that you would somehow through the the corruption of my humanness, through the corruption of my mental abilities or inabilities, my ration, my feelings, my emotion, somehow through this mess, speak life, speak eternity into the hearts of men and women who suddenly realize they need nothing but Jesus Christ and Him loving them as He does. And they loving Him as He does. Help us to see Him as he really is, as he really is, as he really is. I'm going to land this in just a moment, and I'm going to pray a specific prayer, but I just, I have to tell you, I don't know about you, but in my humanness, I really get what Peter and James and John were like, is like, this, this is too overwhelming. This is just like my mind has been blown. It's like all of everything I thought I knew, even religiously, suddenly was just, it was just nothing. I was, you know, just completely exposed in the raw, pure beauty of resplendent glory. And I don't have anything to say that is intelligible except, Jesus, we built some tabernacles or Stay here a little while. And I feel like that we're headed for 
a moment when Jesus is about to reveal himself in this church like that on a continual basis. You'll walk in the door and the resplendent glory of God will be manifest in front of you. I really believe that's going to happen in the near future on a regular basis. But I feel like that where we're at right now is where Jesus walks up and taps us on the shoulder. And they look up and all they see is Jesus. All we see is Jesus. <laughs> it's all we need to see is Jesus. Help us to see Jesus as he is. Help us to sense him and know him as he is. Help us to find Jesus as he is. Help us to love him as he is with no conditions and no strings attached. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would give us hearts that are bound to Jesus and say, I don't need Jesus to be hip. I don't need Jesus to be cool. I don't need Jesus to be popular. I don't need Jesus to be anything but who he is because who he is is all I need him to be. Father, thank you for the great grace given to us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry I'm waiting because the spirit is just not lifted yet. When, when it lifts, you'll know. But I, I just, this is a very holy moment. And I want to ask you right now, who do you see Jesus as? Who is he to you? Just answer it in your heart right now. If you love him, just respond to him. If there's something that you know he's trying to deal with, you know it, you know it. You say, for a while you couldn't quite put your finger on it, but now you know what it is. Just give it over. Just surrender it. Just surrender it. Just surrender. it's possible that someone is watching this message today and no one's ever invited you to accept Christ as your Savior, then let me be the one to do it for you. I, I would just urge you, you've got two functioning brain cells, use them. He loves you. Accept his love. Give him your love in return. Accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Let him begin to take you and transform you. It's the most radical thing that could ever happen to you, but it's an amazing journey. It's an amazing journey because we get to ride with him. We get to be with him. We get to spend eternity with him. And all of this right now that we're going through is just a drop in the bucket. But trust me, in time, this stuff won't matter. It matters now. It won't then. It's just a drop in the bucket. And you will spend eternity somewhere. We will spend eternity somewhere. So let's spend it with him. Let's surrender to Jesus.